When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Just like that, the final hour is here. Hot Mike with Hutton and Withrow across the Outkick Network. Sixth and Peabody, our location, with Ehab Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. You can join Chad and Royce in the chat. We're back on YouTube. We Royce are is back. back. Royce is back. I haven't seen a lot from uh, Royce. Just said, "What up, boys?" With two fist bumps. He hasn't said anything else. Right now, I'm I'm typing up Royce. Royce, what up? We're back. <laughs> Royce, we're all caps. Back, all caps, to Royce. We'll see what he has to say. Billy Lucci, TexAx.com, joins us in 20 minutes. Uh, Chad, uh, lawsuit, another lawsuit is back for Hun- Northwest. Quickly, before we get into the lawsuits, yeah. can I bring one thing up? Yeah. Um, uh, current Twitter beef or X beef, I don't know what we're oh, calling it yes, now, right yes. now that's going on. Twitter. And I, I bet our uh, crew can probably find this pretty pretty quickly as I'm talking about it. Okay. Um, there are a lot of tweets, Saturday Down South posted it, and others of the picture of Vanderbilt's football stadium. Vanderbilt, for those unfamiliar, a school in the Southeastern Conference that has the second highest payout every year to member schools. Now, I give them credit. They're undergoing a $300 million renovation to their stadium. But somehow throughout the course of college sports history, other schools have gone through big renovations and either found another home to play in during that time or they have done it in different off-seasons and combined it over two, three, four years to make it work where their stadium doesn't look like this Mm. that you're going to see right now while you're playing games in the SEC. This is just one end zone. The other one actually looks worse than this. They've lowered their capacity from about 38,000 to 27,000 for the upcoming season. This is high school level BS by Vanderbilt. And I don't say that to knock the entire football program. I think Clark Lee's a good coach. We've had him on the show. I like Clark. I think he's got a good idea about what to do. I think he can do a good job at Vanderbilt. It's the administration at Vanderbilt who has long made jobs more difficult for their coaches. This is yet another example. And for all the Vandy fans that are coming after me, said, oh, well, you went to Tennessee and this, and you're just taking (laughs) shots, and that's the only reason you're saying this. Tennessee is undergoing a $288 million renovation, and they're doing it over four or five years to Neyland Stadium. There will be no major interruptions during games in season. There's going to be no big issues. They're not taking out a bunch of seats. They're doing everything in the offseason. How are they doing this? Planning. It's called planning because you're in the SEC and you're supposed to be a major football conference. You don't have construction zones on each end zone during the season. And this is one defense I'm hearing from Vanderbilt fans. Well, Oregon State did it. Oregon State doesn't have a conference right now. If your comparison is Oregon State did it, you may need to find a new conference because they don't have one, probably for reasons like that. Stop making excuses for bad decision-making. The other thing, too. You should be retweeting me. And, and liking it and saying, yes, administration, let's get it together. 
Yeah, but they they've been they have been doing that, and they finally get the construction going. And, it, and look, it, I, I could also say they had to do it this way, otherwise uh, you're likely not going to see completion. Just kick the can down the road a little bit more. So might as well demolish everything and build it immediately so they don't change their mind. Well, I, I just think there's ways you can do it and speed up the process. I know it's not done in one off season. Yeah. But I mean, what's two off seasons compared to what Vanderbilt football has been for years? What's an extra off season to make it happen to where you don't look like a, a joke? You don't. You, they look like an OVC program. Their stadium is comparable with OVC stadiums. It was before, in some instances. It's definitely that now. Yeah, and they have nowhere to go it's with a new stadium. It's substandard for a southeastern conference so program. So far behind on upgrades. And I, I just pointed out. I said this is one of the reasons. Clark Lee has a difficult enough job as it is. Why are you making it more difficult on him? And people say, well, I think it's the academics and trying to get guys in school that makes it difficult. Notre Dame and Stanford figured it out. You're allowed to do the same. There are academically minded schools that have figured out football. Oh, you don't even have to. You can do it too. Look at other universities. Look at a different coach. James Franklin. James Franklin won. Figured it out. They didn't do this for James Franklin, though. No. So if you're going to actually have upgrades at the stadium... Uh, yeah, you probably have to do everything at once to ensure that it's going to be rebuilt the way they say it's going to be. Well, this, that's look, unfortunate. If you're a Vandy fan, my advice to you is you want more national people getting on board with this and criticizing things that make you look bad, not less. You want more people bringing it to light and saying you have a good coach and that your future could be a lot brighter if the administration made better decisions. Uh, Georgia, you need more of that, not less. Georgia the number one uh, team in the country going for the three people have a road trip to Vanderbilt this year. Uh, there. Be, a, be a lot of red and black in, on those uh, dirt piles in the end zone. They'll be watching <laughs> the game from there. Uh, they'll probably be able to pay. Vandy will probably charge them. I know they've gouged uh, opposing fans before. They'll probably charge a VIP pass of $500 to ride the bulldozer and watch the game from the top of it. During the game. It's not a bad idea for certain fan bases. Do you want to watch the game from the Caterpillar machine in the end zone? Can then we, you can uh, pay us $1,500 yeah, to do so. BMX here or monster trucks after the game? They're just going to be a, uh, they're going to set up a fan zone of the opposing <laughs> team. <laughs> Starting with Hawaii. Hawaii's going to have their own fan zone in the dirt. Get laid the in game. the dirt. <laughs> they're going to be handing out lays left and right. If you can take the pile. When I moved into my house in a new construction area in the neighborhood, for like two years, there was just a dirt pile, like sort of behind the house where they were going to build on the street yeah. eventually. And, uh, you know, if like friends came over on a Saturday night and we had been drinking, the goal was like you'd go take the pile. <laughs> Sounds miserable. You know, like you just run up the pile. This is what oh, fans should do at Vandy Running games. the pile. I thought you were going to try to move the oh, pile. Oh, no, 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 no. I'm not like, uh, was it Bo Jackson that did that? No, Herschel Walker. Yes. Every summer he would like dig a hole. His parents would make him dig it half the summer, <laughs> then fill it in the other half oh. for strength training. We didn't do that. We would just run up the pile. I think this should be a new Vandy experience. You run up the pile during the games, the dirt pile in the construction zone in the end zone. Break out some ATVs, maybe some golf carts. Well, look, a long, entertaining way to tell you um, this is part of the problem. Like You should be irate about this, not defending it if you're a Vandy fan. Get mad. It's okay to get mad. You don't need to stay mad. It's okay to be accepting also of your place and where you are, all that. I'm not telling you to live unhappy, but there are certain things that should make you mad. And when Saturday Down South posts the panoramic shot of your stadium 
looking like a, a Guatemalan soccer stadium <laughs> from 1956, then you should be angry. You play in the SEC. Your endowment is that of Harvard. You should be better than this. Well, they, they should already be. And I think that's the, that's the frustration from the fans. It's like, we're finally doing this. We can't complain now because they're finally renovating an aged stadium to the max. Like, it, it was so dilapidated. Like, the, uh, didn't the elevator or something to the press box get con- condemned at one point? Like, it had to be repaired immediately. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, again, sounds, it's been awful. That sounds right. Chad, uh, by the, the way, someone said Vandy's playing their first game at Pearl Cone High School. That was a fake report. That, yeah, Richard Too many G. people West. picked that up, but that we, oh. we laugh at there's a fake reporter in Tennessee called Richard G. West. <laughs> Dick West. And he puts slightly believable stories out that are jokes. And one of them was that Vandy will play their season at Pearl Cone oh. High School which is a public school in public high school in Nashville and people are running with it. This guy said, "Well, they are playing their games at their first game at Pearl Cone." <laughs> which is so funny. 11 a.m. kickoff ESPN2 Georgia at <laughs> Vanderbilt at Firebird Stadium. You are looking live. Brent Musburger is going to come out of retirement uh, to call there, TV games again. Are there no uh, guidelines from the SEC office in place? No. Yeah, because it it's not there's no We've guidelines about on that, on, like, on capacity, but I'm saying like Construction. There is only so. I remember we've asked this question before. The SEC for both football and basketball, they only have guidelines for common media areas, right? With space for that, and there's I think there's some locker room distinctions but the, the, about for opposing teams. At what point? There's though, nothing for fans or capacity. And the reason we asked that then is we we think it would be wise of them to reduce capacity. NFL stadiums are certainly doing that. Titans are moving into a dome that's going to be 10,000 less than what they have right now in the open-air Nissan Stadium. Point being, um, the at one point, to move up to Division One, you had to have a stadium of 30,000 right? capacity yeah. minimum. And now there is no minimum like that. But that was tough. Like, there's a lot of empty stadiums from some smaller schools to be D1, they had to have that capacity. And then you could tarp over stuff afterwards. But you've got nothing but like metal bleachers in a lot of these stadiums. In this case, just concrete seats. Um, and they should reduce capacity, which they are doing. And that's smart. Chad, another uh, lawsuit for Northwestern. Mm. This one involving three former coaches from the, the baseball staff. Uh, they say that they were fired for reporting bullying and uh, reporting derogatory abuse on uh, the baseball program through head coach Jim Foster, who was fired shortly after Pat Fitzgerald was let go uh, as the football coach at Northwestern. Uh, There are now more than 12 lawsuits with football and baseball combined. Uh, The interesting thing here is they're they're saying that they they sent this to HR— and the three were fired based on these allegations being brought forward. Named in this, in this lawsuit, and this is important because consider there is an internal, external investigation internally on the athletic department from the top down. Derek Gragg is named, as are two other members of the athletic department in his office, including one in HR. So this... It, this is with the former attorney general overseeing investigation as this goes on. Um, 
we've long said that Derek Gregg isn't long for that position. And the investigation to me will, while they're going to try to f- follow some type of system moving forward and how to handle situations like allegations, hazing, other things, this is another example that the coaches feel like they were not just ignored, but lost their job because of the atmosphere surrounding Jim Foster and the fact that they didn't want to be in his atmosphere. They were avoiding him, as others would too, uh, based on the derogatory abuse and the, the other things going on behind the scenes there. The suit also says, I love this part of it, that Foster, quote, created such a toxic environment that staff members felt too uncomfortable to go to the lunchroom because they would have to interact with Foster, causing them severe anxiety and stress. If this is written about me from people that I actually liked, that I worked with, um, I I think I would just retire from jobs altogether. Like If this is what they were saying about me. So uncomfortable around the person in such a toxic environment, they avoided them in the lunchroom. Avoid the but anxiety. The anxiety would come from fearing for your job because you went to HR. Like that is, that's higher than just whatever Jim Foster was. He technically wasn't fired. Absence, a leave of absence, and he's not coaching again. Remember that? They never said he was fired. They just said he's yeah, not going to coach like, again. It's one thing to not relieved of his duties. It's one thing to not get along with someone or enjoy spending a lot of time talking to them and not wanting to sit and have a meal with them. Yeah. It's another thing to uh, say it causes you severe anxiety. Because he's so stress. hardcore. Well, or just because they're so terrible. Just said created such a toxic environment, didn't want to be around. And this was some of the claims are like he would say um, racist things about people just in passing. You know, think things like that. Not just they were he was always on me or yeah. made life tough on me. It was he was so uncomfortable. Not even short fuse. Just he was so uncomfortable to be around. But one claim was um, he said that he didn't want a female trainer around the team because all the players would be checking her out or on the diamond. Yeah, like didn't want her around. Scene. And the assistant yeah. coaches hated to hear that. Yeah, because I guess there's a liked. guilty by association mentality with that. I guess. Yeah. Uh, again, this is Greg's the AD. This is his hire. So, you know, for all of the discussion about, oh, you know, he just got here and he inherited this mess. This is one of the lawsuits that involved strictly his tenure since 2021 and arriving there and two others within the athletic department. One is the deputy athletic director at Northwestern. Um, yeah. And, and keep in mind with this too, Chad, the investigation from the former attorney general uh, according to Michael Schill, the president, that will be made public. Unlike the university's internal investigation that took six months that originally only resulted in a two-week suspension without pay for Pat Fitzgerald. And since then, Fitzgerald's out, and so is Jim Foster, the baseball coach. Well, what, what is Derek Gregg's day-to-day like right now? Uh, I mean, I, I feel like he has someone He's got one foot him. out. Yeah. I he mean, knows it. They are waiting for the completion of this internal audit and investigation to fire their AD with cause. He cannot survive this. He has to know that. And they are also coming up with the job descriptions for the head football and baseball coach. If someone were to leave, if the tennis coach were to leave for another job right now, are they going to let Derek Gregg make that decision on who to hire? Absolutely not. So he's not the AD. It's Uh, just a a weird spot for everyone. Well, I guess Michael Schill would let him. Probably. I, I think Michael Schill would actually, if he could get off vacation, 
would come back and hire the tennis coach over him. Chet, uh, we had a, a lot of reaction to untold Johnny football. And a part of that documentary on Netflix is Billy Lucci, who's about to join us. So many questions here. Um, and as you well know, our audience may not, Billy knows Johnny Manziel about as well as anyone on the planet. Billy was a huge part of the documentary. So yeah, if you've seen the documentary, what, you saw Billy throughout it. What's your top question for him? How is Johnny right now? Yeah, me too. And it, do you sense there's still a problem his with thoughts him? in reaction to the, the, the untold series after sitting down for it versus the finished product? Yeah. Because Manziel... The process of it also. Yeah. Were they with him multiple days? Was it a one-day shoot? How much did they ask? How much was cut based on what he told? Yeah. All of these questions. Uh, Plenty. Uh, plus, there's plenty of questions about Peel the upcoming the season. back on this one. Plenty of uh, questions about the upcoming season at A&M with Jimbo Fisher. We've got that and more straight ahead. Billy Lucci joins us on Hot Mike with Hutton Withrow across the Outkick Network. Sixth and Peabody, our location with Ehop Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. Hot Mike with Hutton and Withrow rolls on. Billy Lucci from Texags joins us in a matter of minutes. Chad, uh, what was Lane Kiffin saying at SEC Media Days? Uh, he, we know he, he certainly got on the soapbox about name, image, likeness, and the transfer portal, but he's certainly benefiting from those rules, although he's not a big fan of said rules. So uh, he was on with um, Marty and McGee. Okay. Right? Yeah, that's it. That's the show. Yeah, Marty and McGee on SEC Network. They did this at SEC Media Days, but I think it just now aired. Uh, I'm getting this from Ross Dellinger, who's quoting the interview. Candid Lane Kiffin on NIL era. Quote, I think kind of accepting you're going to not have phenomenal culture. It doesn't mean I don't work on it. We don't have many kids dying to be here. These transfers go to a place that fits them best at that time. It's not about the school, is what Kiffin said in regards to players playing for him. Yeah, well, that is true. You know, you're going for opportunity. Although, like, how did he get all three of those quarterbacks? I don't know. I'm sure money had something to do with it. Um, he also says, Kiffin on coaching college versus NFL. This is weird because it's complete opposite of what he just said. Quote, I really like college because players care so much about where they are. A lot of locker rooms, that's who they wanted to play for when they grew up. The NFL, it's business. We're now moving towards business. I'd say the joy is not the same. NFL yeah. and college. Well, it is, it is straight yeah, He's business. right about that. This is also like, so I'm, I'm on the Kiffin train, right? Yeah. You're uh, a big lane, lane train, train guy. Lane train. Um, he just got a significant raise at Ole Miss that is now paying him over $9 million a season. And... It, that's a boost from seven, and he was flirting with Auburn. I to then turn around and say, "Yeah, it's uh, guys are just not choosing because of the school. It's not because of Ole Miss. It's because of opportunity. That that's great for him, though. He's done a really nice job of using the portal to his advantage and flipping rosters in a way, like Matt Corral and flipping uh, and turnover from guys he lost to the NFL, and then doing it again. And he's not only doing it for the starters, he's got good backups at certain spots through the portal. So it can't just be about NIL there. I think there's also, and he's also turned over coaching staffs 
throughout all this too. Um, I don't know. I, I where is the where is the detriment? Where is it hurting Lane Kiffin? He's not. He's, I, I he's now paid uh, nine million plus at Ole Miss. This is, we're not talking Auburn or one of the the top schools that's known for paying coaches. He's now he's now paid nine million, and the expectations there compared to where he's been and no longer is is vastly different. Where have we even mentioned Ole Miss as a contender for you know the third spot in the SEC West right now? No, but he's paid like it. Yeah, look, I, I don't. I like Lane Kiffin's honesty. I do too. But I also I try to look at things through every perspective. If I'm his boss at Ole Miss, I don't love my football coach saying no one's coming here for the school. Yeah, Ross Bjork. Yes, and what? it's but, not Ross Bjork anymore, right? He's uh, at A and M. Oh yeah, you're right. He is at yeah. A&M. I don't know who his boss is now. But what? But wh- point being, like, okay, it's also a great sales pitch for Lane Kiffin. You know, no one's coming here for the school. Basically, they're coming here for me and my program. I mean, it's the school that pays you. So I think you got to kind of tread lightly at times there. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I think – here's the deal, Hutton. I think guys who transfer to Ole Miss in his personal experience of players, he's probably right. The guys who leave one program to go to Ole Miss aren't necessarily going there for the school. They're going there for Lane Kiffin yeah. and for NIL opportunity. Both can be true, not for the school. Guys who transfer to Ohio State, Michigan, Alabama, Georgia, they may be transferring those places to try to win a national title. They may be transferring for the school or the program, not the school, but the program itself. So I think things can, well, different things can be true at different places. But also, like, so, but... How are, how the rules are set up now, how is it hurting Lane Kiffin? I don't see that mass exodus of players. I see him bringing guys in more than the other way around. Um, again, like I normally, it, so Saban's argue, Saban, Alabama's going to win either way in any structure. I, Kiffin can have vastly more success in this landscape and structure than without it. I guess that's where I'm coming from. I don't understand the the you know the harsh reality, you know, fire and brimstone approach from him like you could see from the other old school top of the line goats in college football that can complain about it. I I'm trying to figure out the what's the benefit? There's got to be something there that he's alluding to or knows what's about to happen or Again, like he's still taking advantage of it. And he admits that too. I just don't understand the detriment for how it's crucial that it changes for Lane Kiffin's circumstance. Because it's pretty good with the transfer portal wide open. Yeah, and I, I think part of it is kind of a recruiting pitch in an odd way. I, I think part of his recruiting pitch also is what he said about minority coaches. When he allowed his one of his top assistants that hasn't yeah. had a lot of opportunities to coach – and he talked about how it's shameful that the SEC and Big 12, they don't have any um, African-American minority coaches coaching right now. Because keep in mind, he is in a state where it still is difficult at times to bring in black players that aren't from Mississippi. Yes. That's uh, an issue. So you want to when you say it's not about the school, it can for transfers, right? It could be more about, you know, some guys grew up here, wanted to play here. 
I think it still can be a difficult pull for Ole Miss, Mississippi State because of the perception of that state from outsiders. So Lane Kiffin fights a bit uphill with that notion as well. So I think him, I'm not saying he said that just for recruiting, but I think saying that does not hurt his recruiting. And doing that with his his black assistant coach, allowing him to coach that scrimmage and talking about it publicly will also not hurt Lane Kiffin, right? In the long run. No doubt. And you're right. He can have success in both situations. I just, I understand why Eli Drinkwitz is against it at Missouri. But yeah. Kiffin is reaping the rewards. It's tough to get different four-star quarterbacks to transfer in. Normally, those guys transfer out if they're not starting. And Ole Miss already had their starter. And you still got two that came in. So, again, it's it's intriguing. Billy Lucci traveling in Dallas right now. He will join us at 440. So, here in 12 minutes, he'll be cool. on with us live to close out the show. So, um, he, he will be with us. So Always how, a busy man. Always how, on the go. The, the Mets, a part of what is a, an amazing run differential with New York teams for the Atlanta Braves. I'm going to get to that in a moment. But the Mets continue to have stories pop up about the guys they've traded away uh, with Scherzer and with Verlander. Verlander uh, called a diva by a Met, according to the New York Post, as he was detached from his teammates while allegedly complaining about how the Mets' analytics department didn't match up to that of the Astros. Um, It's apparently uh, ticked off Scherzer, among others. Well, Verlander's response to it was perfect. Um, do we have the tweet to show from Verlander on his response? If so, I, we, need to, we need to show that because it is terrific what he came back and said. He said, I want to say that I have nothing but respect for the Mets organization. I enjoyed connecting with all of my teammates this season, new and old. It truly was a wonderful group of people. That being said, we all know the success of a team is made up of more than just the players on the field. Everyone's input is valuable. I'm sorry to hear that a staff member took offense to constructive criticism on how we can improve, wishing nothing but best to the Mets moving forward. That is PR 101 right there, And he's there, back my with the organization he was comparing. PR 101. I like my time there. He got paid very well. like my time, love my teammates, past and present, even alluding to Max Scherzer and the issues they may have had in Detroit together, but no issues there. And just calls out whoever he was calling out. In the analytics department, I'm sorry that a staffer had a problem with me having a problem with what they were doing and the work they were doing. And him pointing out that the Astros do it better, which probably isn't a surprise. No. Given what the Astros have done recently, given what the Mets have done recently. So great job by Justin Verlander. Perfect response to criticism about him being a diva. But even the diva aspect of it, like, is that a big deal? We're talking about the Cy Young winner from a year ago. Like... He's coming over. You're paying him all this money. You're paying him to be Verlander. And there are expectations of where he's had success and where he's at the top of his game. And, I mean, I would, I would expect the, the aces across Major League Baseball to have some diva qualities with how they go about their individual regiment and their expectation for analytics going into a lineup every five days. That doesn't surprise me either. Max Scherzer the same way, too. Sure. Uh, by all accounts, he's a, a super intense dude, especially on game days where he's starting, that he has a very tight regiment that he does not break for anyone. Um, the Braves' dominance. How it's many incredible. runs against New York teams over this last several-day stretch, five or six days now? They started a four-game series with the Mets on Friday night. They played one Friday, 
doubleheader Saturday, one on Sunday. They've now completed two of their three games of the Yankees. So far, the score is Atlanta Braves 56, New York baseball teams 13 <laughs> through those games. The Mets did get one win on Sunday, 7-6, uh, to six, in a close game. But, man, oh, man, that is some domination. No, aside, place. I'm watching the Braves broadcast last night. The game was on TBS and on Bally's. I was watching the Braves broadcast on Bally's because Hutton, one of our favorites, John Smoltz, was on the call for the Braves on Bally's in that game. And they interviewed Spike Lee, who was front row what? in Atlanta, full Yankees get-up, Yankees jersey. He had a hat on that had pennants for all 27 Yankees titles on there, and the Braves broadcast interviewed him, and Spike Lee said, I got to give love to the Braves. They're the best team in baseball by a mile. He said, they're, they're great. And their and he offensive said, this score output is, showing it. is record-setting, not just for this season, oh, yeah. but all time. Yeah, they're like plus 215 now, I think, run differential against uh, their opponents. It, it's, it's been an incredible ride. Now, the question is for the Braves, do they have the pitching? Their bullpen is sufficient, but not great. Um, their starting rotation is rounding into form, but not perfect. Not what you would say is, oh, this is going to win a World Series. Good. Right. Um, their lineup is historic. So from a, does from that a lineup balance, that doesn't jump out at you as yeah, this does that, good. Does that great. balance bring you another World Series would be the question. I mean, and you look, getting hot at the right time, getting a couple pitchers, pitching great in October, that's what it takes. Well, the other thing, too, like there, there are some lopsided uh, scores here. Throughout this, but when's the last time you saw them play a boring game? Doesn't happen often. I mean, every time I look up, there's something going on at the Braves game that's intriguing. Well, John Smoltz was, and I, I listened to everything the guy says. He's so good. He said last night, he said, look, there, if you're a good pitcher and you have a good night, you can shut down the Braves. He said, but you have to be really good. You're then, not going to hold them at bay without A-plus stuff. And that's once and he said, in a you, series. He said, you don't have to be a great pitcher and have your greatest stuff. But he said, if you are a good pitcher and you have A-plus stuff, you can put the Braves' bats to sleep on a given night. But it's just few and far between with this offense that you're going to get those things lined up. Really good pitcher, really good stuff, and the Braves can't hit as well. Most nights, they're scoring seven-plus runs. That's just who they are. That's their identity. You're going to need to get eight. You got to think that when you're going to these games. You need to get eight to beat the Braves. Meanwhile, uh, and we, we brought this up with McHenry yesterday. Like you have to rake, right? You know going in. Meanwhile, the Yankees were doing that a year ago. Yeah. And a complete 180 on expectation, where you now have uh, you've got Aaron uh, Aaron Judge and Aaron Boone uh, admitting we're not showing up. I mean, that's a polite way of of putting it. They've not missed the playoffs since 2016, but this is a vastly different look of a Yankees lineup compared to what we saw a year ago and the chase that was on for Judge and the home run record. Yeah, they are 60-60 and 60 after last night. So 500. That is not where any Yankees fan or anyone around baseball thought they would be 120 games into the season. Crazy to think about the lost opportunities this season by both New York teams. Mets and Yankees have been two of the biggest disappointments in all of baseball. Mets a far bigger disappointment yep. based on their record and their payroll, but the Yankees right there with them. Well, the thought was they get Judge back and they're going for a World Series run, too. Yeah. You know, New York versus New York kind of thing. The three biggest disappointments are in no order. Well, I'll, I'll go in order. Mets, Mets, 
Padres, Yankees. I would say based on expectations and star power. They have not been 500 this late in the season since 1995. It's a pretty good run. That's also, would, uh, that's also a pretty nice run if you're, George, if you're a Yankees fan. What would George Steinbrenner be doing right now? Fire everyone. Yeah. Manager. Probably <laughs> trade Aaron Judge away. This guy just can't win. He'd just give up on him. Everyone would be done. No one would be safe for George. And yet, here we are. It doesn't feel like Boone's going to be safe. But here we are, both New York franchises. They're not making the in-season move. From GM or at uh, nope. manager. Coming up, Billy Lucci joins us from Dallas. That's straight ahead. We talk all things Aggies and Johnny Football Untold. That's next on Hot Mike with Honey Withrow. Chad, what do you got going on uh, after the show today? You want to stick around here at Six and Peabody and get a Yeehaw beer and Old Smoky Moonshine drink? Hutton, I would love that more than anything, but they frown upon me having moonshine before I go coach softball, so I can't tonight. Okay. That's fair. Got to coach softball practice. <laughs> got to be responsible tonight. Got a softball practice to get to. That's why you're the... Game's coming up next week. You're the two-time coach uh, twice a year. You're the regular but, season plus the travel team now. Hutton, rain check. Because okay. I love all the offerings here at Sixth and Peabody with Old Smoky Moonshine and Yeehaw Beer. And I will take you up on that offer very, very soon. Just not tonight. Not after the show today. Fair enough. Another time I'll very wait. soon, we're, we're going to make it happen. Hot Mike with Hunter Withrow across the Outkick Network. We spent uh, a lot of time reacting to untold Johnny football. And, uh, initial reaction is it lived up to the entertainment and expectation of what we expected. There, we said that it could easily be a three- part series of this documentary, not just one. One of the stars of Untold is our next guest. Founder. The star. Some would argue the star of the documentary. Friend of the show as well. Billy Lucci joins us. Billy, uh, your initial reaction to what you expected from Untold versus what you saw Untold in the debut. Uh, You know, it went about like I expected. I didn't do a lot of research or kind of trying to poke or prod and and figure out, you know, where it was going to go or anything. So I just knew what they asked me and kind of the, the vibe of it all. And I thought it was uh, about what I thought it was going to be. It was going to be about that wild time and about kind of where Johnny's been since. And that was about, that was about what I felt like it was in his time at A&M both on the field and off. How long did your part of this take, Billy? Was it a, a one-day shoot for you? Um, I'm sure they asked you a lot, and a lot was uh, cut from it, and they used some of it, but how long was this whole process when they filmed with you? Guys, sorry. I know it's y'all, so I'm going to do this because it's so – I mean, I'm looking in the sun, squinting y'all. No, you're good. Um, I, I prefer okay. the sunglasses anyways. That's good. Yeah. <laughs> As long as I can do that. Um, no, my part probably took three, three, two and a half, three hours. So there was a lot that wasn't in there, but they did tell me afterwards. We all went to lunch and they kind of said, hey, I, I think you'll make the cut. And then a few weeks later, when I think when they started really putting it together, 
I think they liked the way what they had told me was, look, most of the people that watch us aren't going to be intimately familiar with A&M. Some of the people aren't going to know anything about it, much less at that specific time and place, you know, point in time when Johnny was there. So that was why uh, I was in it, I think, a little more than maybe I expected. Just kind of telling that backstory. Not just no A&M, but you were certainly uh, in with Manziel as well. When did you first meet Johnny Manziel? You know, it's funny because I used to go up to all the high schools and cover the games and stuff when I was a kind of a one or two person operation. By the time he was a recruit, I was not doing that. So I didn't really meet him until he was on campus. Saw him a few times. We, we'd say hi and we knew who each other were, obviously with me covering it. Oh, look, there I am. Um, but, uh, <laughs> it was really the first time we had like a long conversation. I feel like was, you know, prior to that season. And then I remember running into him after that Florida game and they lost to Florida. And he said, what'd you think of the game? I said, man, I think I was really impressed. Like, I think you guys are going to win a lot of games this year. And he said to me that night, he said, we won't lose another one. Mark my words. They ended up losing to LSU a few weeks later, but that was it. You know, and they went 11-2. and two. He wins the Heisman. That was kind of the first time, like, we had really just stopped and talked a lot. And uh, – but I think we just kind of have always known each other. And I feel like Cliff and I – and it's funny that we were the two that were in that a lot. We're always the two people in his life at that time that were – people he could talk to that weren't in his group of, you know, college, high school, college party buddies, some of whom, you know, he's still good friends with today, some not. And then the, uh, the authority figure thing, which would be, you know, coach someone, the AD, you know, someone's parents. And I thought we were kind of always in between to have those conversations that maybe he felt like he couldn't have with other people. Yeah. Billy Lucci with us. Uh, the way I would describe it and to describe, I don't know. Did do you feel like you knew Johnny Manziel or Johnny Football? Oh, definitely Manziel. So you're, like, you're definitely one of the few there. Yep. Yeah, I mean, at that time, yeah. At that time, Johnny Football was, you know, now I know he's got a, you know, he's got a great group of friends that really know anyone that really knows him understands there's so much more uh to the guy than you know the partying and the craziness so yeah i think i definitely know still new knows johnny manzel not football jonathan as i call him <laughs> we're a J- jonathan football yes were you um were you surprised to hear the admission of the the suicide plans that he had when he was spiraling and, and that huge bender. And, and how is Johnny right now? I, I thought that was one thing that the documentary maybe missed. They kind of hinted around it, but didn't really say what he's up to and how he is presently. Yeah. It's always weird to say this about any other man or person. You got, you know what I'm talking about, right? Like if someone said, you know, how, you know, how are they doing? How, you know, how's, the guy, how are the guys at Outkick? I don't want to speak for him, but I'll say this: I, he's, you know, 
as with anybody that's been through what he's been through, I think he's a work in progress. He'd be the first one to tell you that. But if you'd have told me five years ago and three years ago that he'd be where he is today, I wouldn't have believed you. So really encouraging from that part. He's found some things that he enjoys outside of football and fame, namely golf and, and traveling. I know he's up in Idaho this week. And uh, I think also, you know, friends where he's kind of been able to settle in a home base out there in Scottsdale. So I think he's, he's, he's come a long, long way in the last few years. That's, that's for damn sure. And the ending of it, I know what you're saying. Like, and I told the directors, or I told uh, Ryan and Jake, like, it's never a bad thing when people are saying, man, it could, it could have been longer. It's better than the alternative when they say it ran, uh, it ran too long. But I think the, the, the suicide part, I had never, I never knew about that. And, uh, I knew there were some down dark times and I was, you know, I would talk to him regularly through that, but I did not know, uh, about that specifically, but anybody that's been through it, he's been through and, and, and he talks openly about, you know, where he's at mentally, it, you know, there were times where it's, you're kind of worried about that with him, not just whatever the bottom is. You don't want someone like that to hit bottom with what he went through. Cause what he went through, it's more than any of us would have gone. I, I always likened it to a child star. You see people in, in child stars, you see people in music, um, particularly music and, and Hollywood you know, a lot of them don't, and, and tragically don't make it out of their twenties. Yeah. When you get that famous, that fast, and all that money, and all that fame and fortune, and and the lights and cameras that you think you want, and then you get them, and with that comes a whole, you know, different set of circumstances that you probably never dreamed about, and uh, it definitely took a toll on him. But I think he's, I think he's through on the other side of it. And again, like I said, just like people would tell you, I'm still. Work in progress, but and might say the same about y'all. But for him, <laughs> oh yeah, he had to come out from way down, and he certainly has done that to this point. And, and he's, you know, he understands he's not done. So I'm excited to see what he can do with this kind of. I think what he felt about this is he really got like a boost of momentum, and has got some momentum and positivity on his side for the first time in a while. Um, and I, I really hope that he can capitalize on that. Is it still lucrative being Johnny football? I know he's got the bar in college station, Billy, when he comes back to town and he is just Johnny football, is that still a lucrative enterprise for him? Well, yeah. And I think it's, it could be as lucrative as he wanted it to at A&M with that would have to come probably a little more time in college station. He comes to quite a few football games. I know you guys saw him. Yeah. After that Bama game, he tries to make it to most of the significant home games. But if he wanted to set up shop in College Station, he could make a hell of a living for the rest of his life. I don't know that he's ready to do that. You know, he's still, you know, jet setting in a good way. I mean, like I said, Idaho, Montana. I don't know where he's where he's at now or where he's at next. Golfing all over the country. So um, it's still lucrative, though. And I think it'll only be more so. I mean, you have a documentary, you have signings, you have appearances, you have social media. Um, I'm sure, I'm sure people would pay top dollar to have him go 
shoot around a golf with him or play in a tournament. Or I think he should go speak to every college that wants him to speak in the country. What better person for kids to sit up, put their phones down and listen to than if that guy walked in the room and said, hey, I was sitting right there 10 years ago. I never thought this would be me. Here I am. Listen to what I have to say. I think there's a lot of money there for him in that if he chooses to do it. Billy Lucci, our guest, texags.com. Billy, uh, we always try to get a, a random story of people you've hung out with or uh, things you've seen recently because you've got plenty of them. I'll tie it in with Johnny Football here over the final two minutes or so. Is there a comparison that you would make on someone else you've hung out with and partied with the way that Johnny Manziel was always on as Johnny Football when he would hit the town or hit the college station strip? Like, is there, a, is there someone else that comes to mind that meets that same aura? No. No, and I've been in, I mean, maybe Gronk. But I've I've been in Vegas with Johnny and Gronk and <laughs> like a day with Johnny Gronk and Pauly D at the Wet Republic. And <laughs> I don't know. I've, I've 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 got a mutual couple of buddies that are really close with Travis Kelsey. So I'm okay with with them. Um, those are a couple guys that would maybe come to mind. But Johnny was different from the standpoint of. He's not six five six six. You right. know, it's not like yeah. going with JJ Watt to an A and M game, and everybody can see him coming from ten miles away. Or even my man SVP, who got mobbed worse than anyone I've ever seen in College Station, because every college kid watches Sports Center every night, and he's you know he's towering. He's Scott's probably six six, um, and the glasses and the bald head, everybody recognizes him. But Johnny's small and tries to keep his head down, you know, but he, he, there's nowhere we've ever been where he's not recognized, you know, by everyone. Uh, Canada, Mexico, all over the U.S. So, and it's still, and honestly, it's still like that. So, and that's no, no doubt that people don't understand where he, it's still, you know, he's trying to do whatever he does, but he can't really do anything in private or hiding. So, Billy Lucci has been our guest. You're nice enough to do this, man. The Godfather as always. of Aggieland. Uh, the 12th man Don is we, what we I, have I new say. nicknames for you. I, the Godfather right. of Aggieland is what I'm rolling with. Thanks, Billy. I'll tell you what, the San Diego Zoo, he was not recognized. <laughs> and the only way I convinced him to go, because we had a few hours to kill, was he Googled it and found out they sell beer there. So he went it's great. Oh, and Billy got the the uh, private entrance, the VIP entrance That's at right. the San Diego Zoo, no doubt. Billy, thanks, man. Good we appreciate you, man. it. Thank you. There's Billy Lucci, uh, one of the best. Great, great. He may dude. be in Nashville soon. We'll I have to hang out. Hope so. Yes. Chad, fun show today. Fast paced. Great conversation with Anthony Munoz, Clay Travis, and there with Billy Lucci. No one compares to Johnny Football. Nope. Maybe Gronk. How about that? Maybe, Maybe Gronk. Gronk. Maybe. Back at it tomorrow, 3 o'clock Eastern. Hot Mike with Hutton and Withrow right here across the Outkick Maybe Network. Maybe Gronk will join us. <laughs>